You're listening to Freshly Brewed, Episode 7. I'm your host, Jeff. Today's episode of Freshly Brewed is a cafe latte edition. What's a cafe latte edition of Freshly Brewed, you ask? Well, think about the last time that you were in a coffee shop, leaning back, sipping on a cappuccino or latte, and getting lost in an incredible conversation with someone. The type of conversation where time seems to just stand still, and your conversation ends up in a place you could have never predicted it would. That's the type of conversation I had today. And wow, did we stumble on some pretty unusual and interesting topics. In this cafe latte edition of Freshly Brewed, I speak with a guy named Richie. I connected with Richie on LinkedIn not too long ago after he wrote an article about a company that I'm involved with. Very quickly, I realized, just like you will after listening, that Richie is one interesting cat. What I love about Richie the most though is how openly he talked about things a lot of people are scared to talk so openly about. From addiction and recovery, to life as a pro athlete and the never-ending pursuit of a dream, Richie does not hold back, nor does he disappoint. So, let's get started. And remember, no need to add extra sugar to this latte because this episode is going to be, wait for it, sweet enough. Support for Freshly Brewed is brought to you by the Roasters Pack. Now, I love coffee, but I get extremely overwhelmed when I have to decide which beans to buy. Luckily, the Roasters Pack has solved this problem for me. I joined their coffee bean subscription program, where you can receive up to three bags of coffee a month. Now, every month, I run down to the lobby of my condo like a kid on Christmas morning, excited to see which bean I'll be able to try. The variety is endless and the customer support is superb. So visit theroasterspack.com to learn more about this awesome service. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Freshly Brewed. Here's your host, Jeff Fenton. So Freshly Brewed, episode seven, and I got a huge smile on my face as I kick this off because I'm with the seemingly ever-positive, always-smiling Richard Crowley across, across, actually, I don't even know where specifically you are right now, Richard, or Richie, we should go. Um, I'm in South Florida. I just moved from California on March 9th. So it's been just over a month um, that we've been in South Florida. Okay, where, I mean, South Florida, help me be more specific here. West Palm Beach. So it's about an hour and five minutes north of Miami. Google Maps says it's a 72 mile bike ride. So once everything lifts and like trains are running again, I'm going to test that out and see how accurate Google Maps is. But Richie, six weeks ago, uh, was it six weeks ago? Uh, whenever Valentine's Day was, so okay. Okay, two months ago, I was in West Palm Beach. Damn, dude! Was, every single person I talk to comes through West Palm Beach. I had never heard of West Palm Beach until January when my partner said we're moving here, and now every single person's like, "Oh, I go there for work. I was just there for a conference. Oh, there's a festival in there. My grandparents live there. I went there for spring break." I'm like, "How did I never hear of this?" Man, I absolutely loved it and i think it's just because like everyone everyone was really calm everyone was like you know nice put together but they're not like flaunt you know well they flaunt it with their houses and cars but they don't they're they're more personable when you talk to them and i i enjoy i really enjoyed it everyone just seemed super friendly and laid back well that's a validating review because i haven't even been able to uh really 
experience West Palm yet. Like I could tell you about the two different Publix grocery stores, a Whole Foods, and then this small market down the street. Mm-hmm. But you probably may know more than me right now. So that's exciting for when restrictions get lifted and I can go explore that the way you were able to. Okay. So speaking of lifting restrictions, yeah. uh, you, and this actually has nothing to do with lifting restrictions. I was just, I was eager <laughs> for that way. Well, what am I going to say? Um, who People are wondering, I mean, my many, many listeners, I have the, I'm like Trump. I have the most listeners mm-hmm. of all podcasts. Um, who, who's Richie? And and how the hell did you and I meet? And as and as you answer, I'm going to be just cracking open a, a groovy non-alcoholic IPA right now. <laughs> Who is Richie? Oh, Richie is a work in progress of a human. And at different points of his life, he's been a professional athlete. He's been a student. He's been an employee. But those are all not necessarily definitions of who I truly am. Those are just moments of life or things that I was investing my time into to really say who Richie is, is I'll say that I'm someone who is compassionate, doesn't really need much to live, has like a low level of life satisfaction and fulfillment, is someone who wants to play in the arena for the bold and do like cool shit, probably do the opposite of what a lot of people are expecting. But so long as I'm leading with kindness and being respectful and not harming anyone, I think that's, that's where you'll find me playing. In terms of like the more professional, social, where I'm investing my time now is, man, I'm, I'm deep and bullish on the non-alcoholic beverage category. Um, I'm about just over two years sober. Um, six months out of riding my bike across the country to learn more about myself and learn more about existing barriers to wellness. And I'm writing about everything that I do in life just more and more. What used to be one blog per month is now one per day. And it's just like opening the pages to my diary and sharing everything. Non-alcoholic beer is how we met. And it also is a launching off point to so many different things I want to talk about. Um, Richie reached out to me on LinkedIn and shared an article that he wrote about a product that I helped launch with a friend of mine from from undergrad, Groovy, getgroovy.ca.com. And I thought that, you know, this was just some guy who wrote an article, wanted us to share it. And then I double clicked into this. Richie Crowley and saw, yeah, that you're just someone who has so much going on and you're sharing so much about it and you're opening up so much about it. You mentioned non-alcoholic beer and sobriety. Mm-hmm. What, what, what happened there? <laughs> so I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, and I grew up playing the sport of choice in Boston, Massachusetts, which was hockey. At an early age, I found a lot of success. When I was 16, I went and played for the U.S. National under-18 team. 18, I go to college for four years to play D1. Graduate college, I jump on a plane to go to Europe to play professionally for three years. End up playing a season on the Italian national team. I had totally subscribed to 
the rock star athlete life. When I heard the Chicago Blackhawks partied for 21 days after winning the Stanley Cup, that's what you were supposed to do as a hockey player. When I was a freshman in high school and the first party I ever got invited to was where I had my first beer, my role models all had a drink in their hand. This is what I was learning. I was young. I was impressionable. It seemed a bit like risky, a bit rebellious, but also I loved it. Like I had a lot of fun. I was good at partying. Alcohol is 100% a gateway drug. And I would have never had my first cigarette had I never smoked. I would have never, sorry, never drank. I would have never smoked a joint had I not smoked a cigarette. And the list keeps going six, seven, eight more substances deep. Again, was a lot of fun. And I'm fortunate that I never had to make a change because of tragedy. You know, I definitely, in reflection, there's tragedy. There's like relationships that I hurt, emotional feelings and trauma that I delivered onto other people. But none of the tragedies emotionally would have made the news. You know, it wasn't the car crash. It wasn't other things. Fast forward to I retire in 2016. I very quickly go through a breakup that I wasn't able to handle because at the time, all of my value, I had this very fragile self-esteem that I loved myself through the lens of someone else. So didn't handle that breakup well and had a really bad day where I was drinking at probably 8 a.m., doing cocaine at 9 a.m., and by 9 p.m. that night, I was bordering self-harm and friends are grabbing me, saving me. So I thought the culprit was just hard drugs and poor sleep. So I still drank probably for another year, year and a half. I even like was doing a brand ambassador work for a tequila company because it was fun. It was putting me out there. I was getting a lot of attention. I thrived off of that. But as I found success in a post-athletic world, I started getting creative and getting ideas. Hey, I want to do that. When you're working, you know, eight to six, nine to seven every day, you don't have much time to work on your side projects, your passion projects. You do that on the weekend. But if I was going out every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I didn't have time in the weekend because I was hungover and I was had no energy. I wasn't getting good sleep. So eventually, I think with any habit, once the pain of dissatisfaction of not doing something or continuing that habit is stronger than the joy of doing that habit. Wow. Uh, you make a change. And that's what I did. I was like, fuck this. Like, I'm done. I'm done with this. In addition to the emotional traumas and just like the being an idiot, irresponsible spending. So in 2017, leading up to getting eventually sober in 2017, I had four conclusions. I was like, I am sober, no more drinking. And three weeks later, it's a big night out. Then four weeks later, it's an even bigger night out. And like this shit kept on graduating. It starts with, you know, me missing a day of work because I'm just out all night in Boston. The next time it comes up where I'm waking up on the stoop after 48 hours in Boston with like Chinese food over me, no shirt on and like pen on me. Then it graduates to a point where like a friend's in the hospital. I'm totally fucking responsible for just being an idiot. 
Then there's Snapchats, like driving 100 miles an hour. It's like this shit was edging to the point of like, dude, like you're about to be the person who's either died or killed someone. And everyone's like, damn, he had it all. So was fortunate to like bungee jump towards rock bottom and right before smashing my face get pulled up and that then brought me to sobriety and i know it's a bit of a rant but as i started it with saying that alcohol is a gateway drug since then the two years since i found that sobriety or the choice to not drink removing alcohol from my life is also a gateway drug because you start getting all this sleep and energy and creativity. Um, and it's like, I'm no. now accelerating into this next part. It's like, I'm two years old in a life that hopefully delivers 70 more years. It's like, this is fucking exciting. Thank you for being so open with this because not everyone, probably most people would not share this openly. And I really acknowledge that. You mentioned that you had this day, pretty wild day, starting yep. early, lots of drugs, yep. you know, ending with, you know, contemplating self-harm. But, but it seems that the, the addiction or the, the behaviors went on much longer than that. So what, what was the rock bottom? Hmm. I think the rock bottom was definitely the attempts through September, October, November, and December of 2018 to go sober and realizing how difficult it was. Because that first attempt in September was I went into Boston on a Saturday and I didn't leave Boston until Monday morning at 6 a.m. And like I didn't go to work that day and it's just like, what the fuck happened? It's like out a thousand dollars, missing my bike, just kind of like, a blur, but my phone and all my text messages said I had a great weekend. So I was like, oh, okay. But then I was like, no, no, this is stupid. This is stupid. Four weeks later, I go into Boston on a Saturday afternoon to take photos with a friend. And like we walked around Cambridge and then we find out there's this party and it's like a day, a beautiful October day, a day party. I'm like, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. 4 a.m. I'm driving 106 miles an hour in my mother's car out of Boston home to my parents' house, Snapchatting it, like FaceTiming friends. November, I have a a work event where I'm the manager now at work and I bring my team of 14 bowling. I'm like, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. And I'm texting a friend being like, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. He's like, great, don't drink. So I started drinking and it's now November, so it's a bit colder, and it's 3.30 a.m., and my phone's dead. I have no jacket, and it's probably about 24 degrees outside, and I'm just wandering the streets of Boston. Um, and then <laughs> on December 27th, I went on a double date with a friend, and I was like, dude, I'm not drinking. He's like, you kind of have to. And then on the double date, one of the, the women we were with was like, you're really not going to drink? And I was like, you don't want me to drink. Like, It's, it's going to be a fun night, but it's like, I know what the fuck's going to happen. And it was like that next morning when I was just like, I'm done just like putting myself in this mental pickle so often. Um, And like allowing myself to confront that, 
like my mental health was totally taking a massive hit in addition to my dreams being put on hold, my physical health, my parents probably being pretty embarrassed about like their son who is just kind of being a fucking idiot. I'm sure just knowing that you're a pretty connected guy that you had so many people telling you things rationally, you know, to, to try and change your behavior. Mm. Is there anything anyone could have said to you at the time that would have pushed you to, to get sober sooner? Or is it something mm. you to come to on your own? That's a tough one. Uh, I don't know. I really, mm. you know, I think the honest answer is probably no. I think it's with everything we could be the biggest allies and so empathetic and compassionate to peers, to strangers, to family members. But it's never, recovery will never like succeed long-term if the person's not committed to it. Um, and it's like, I, yeah, I obviously wanted to, but with that being said though, I think had I been brave enough to ask for more help, then I'm sure those immediate conversations would have had some sort of dialogue that cemented this path a bit earlier. You know, had I, in September, when I talked to a friend, had that friend been like, great. And like, maybe like asked like more therapeutic questions where they're like, okay, cool. Tell me why. Tell me this, tell me that. Maybe I would have heard myself say something and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's exactly it. But that would have been through conversation with a friend. Somehow you've just activated my, go Never mind Google. Something you just said activated Google and it talked about the Dow Jones. Did you hear that? I, did, I heard something, but I thought it might've been a friend. I think because I'm enjoying this conversation, my heart's beating faster and it knows that when my heart's beating fast, I want to know how my stock are doing. <laughs> there's, a, there's a connection for sure. Y you... You look, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing you on, on camera here. You look fucking fantastic. And, <laughs> and you, I, as I said, this energy that you, that, that you emanate through your LinkedIn, through your content, it's incredible. Does it get easier every day or do you feel like you are always surrounded by those triggers and it's a fucking fight every single day? For me, it, it, it has gotten easier. Um, every day. And I want to be clear that I'm not a representative of everyone in recovery. I'm not representative of everyone sober. It's like, I'm a representative only of me and everyone's going to have that different experience. But for me, the first four months were challenging. Then month four, month five and six got a bit easier because I was going back into environments that alcohol existed. Getting to one year was like a massive milestone. Um, and it's felt, I, I wrote an article called Last Year I Drank Tequila. And that was on my like one year anniversary, my soberversary, my first one. And since then, the acceleration has totally started like J curving about how much more comfort I have with it because it's, it's like totally out there. Um, like speaking something into existence, it's kind of like admitting something. There's like this social accountability. And now everyone's like, oh, yeah, he just he doesn't drink. It's like, and now I'm like, great. All right, cool. Sweet. And we're rolling. When 
you're out with friends and people are drinking and it's such a, a common part of yeah. culture. Is it easy for you to go for the NA op- the non-alcoholic option? Yeah. Or is there still that part of you that, that wrestles with it? Uh, <laughs> dude, there's still temptations. Like I, I was talking with my, my partner and uh, two other friends that we all live together about defining sobriety um, and how it's, hey, is like marijuana or our shrooms part of sobriety and other part of sobriety is like actually committing to other practices. But I personally am someone who's like complete abstinence, right? I don't want anything that alters my state of consciousness. But damn, dude, there are definitely times where I'm like, well, I'd love to go on that hike and like do shrooms. Or like, oh, I'd love to just veg out and watch movies all Sunday and smoke weed. When I go to clubs or bars, I definitely still have that itch at times where I'm like, I know if I had a couple gin and tonics right now that I could take this place over. And it's like, I could be center of attention. Like everyone would be talking about how great of a night it was. But that, that trigger, go, could, what used to go one direction now comes a different direction and it returns back to me and it oh, says, hey, Richie, listen to what you just said. In order for you to be as charismatic and energetic as you want to be, you think you need this substance. No, you have it within yourself allow that person to come out and then i'm like okay oh i got this i i got this okay and then we're, we're back so yes but the less and less as it as it's kind of gone on and yeah. less and less because there's now like na wines na spirits na beers like now if i'm in a situation where i'm like damn i just i want like a drink i could be like hey like let me have that mocktail let me have that beer yeah let me have that non-alcoholic prosecco it's like that's it, it's cool to have that now like it makes me feel like it's like cool okay first of all uh for anyone who's craving a beautiful non-alcoholic beverage that tastes like beer but without the consequences groovy get groovy.com the drink you deserve <laughs> but coming back to what you said it's a gateway drug in the other direction yeah that is the message and i think that's true, not only, not only for individuals who are in recovery, but anyone. You, you, you pursue positive behaviors and you develop positive habits and it accumulates and it opens up other things. And I'm a huge believer in the 1% rule. You get 1% better every single day. You are 37x better by the end of the year. Like that's, mm. that's compound interest. And likewise, if you get, I don't know the number on hand, but if you get 1% worse every day, you're some crazy number worse by the end of the year. Yeah. It's those little habits and day by day and taking small steps to take a big journey. So mad respect, mad, mad respect. I never use the word mad respect. I'm like a, I'm like a high school, uh, like a high school skateboarder. What's, what's keeping you busy these days? And, and specifically during a Corona apocalypse. So damn a bunch of shit um i'll kind of list out all the projects i've finished a proposal for a book and now 
I'm testing it out in conversations with agents, editors, and publishers to help me understand what the book actually will be. Because I have an idea. But right now, I, I now have two proposals after conversations because some people are like, ooh, go this route, go this route. So it's, you know, getting that feedback before I just have so much confirmation bias where it's like, this is it. No. Um, so pouring, pouring into that. I am, am teasing that I want to start this show um, probably in a month. That would be like a YouTube, Facebook watch, IGTV type series, backyard, DIY. So that. Um, there's also building the deck for a podcast. So these are all like in the creation stages. I'm writing daily, releasing those on Medium newsletter and LinkedIn. And I have just clients at Ricky Ricky, which is, I kept like any idea or any project I had, I would always like brand a new name. And I was like, damn, like after two years, I can't just tell people I have seven different things. So I was like, yeah. yeah, I'm just like, why don't I just put it under Ricky Ricky? And like, it's a Ricky Ricky project, but it's this or that. So ser- servicing those clients, we have a roster of, there's three active right now. Um, and that's exciting. But like, as I was telling you today, and this is since Wednesday, I've read three books. And this is book number four, because there's a couple articles I want to write. And I was like, I, I like, I can't rush these out. I have to do the diligence on these. Um, but I'm probably, let's see, 160 pages away from this book. And then I can start writing again. <laughs> so I, whenever I see people creating content, whether LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, the whole, the whole shebang, if you will, yeah. I have this feeling where I'm like, ah, who, like, are, are there a lot of people reading this and they keep going and they keep publishing mm-hmm. and it's like this crazy commitment and i'm thinking are they a fool or do they see a bigger picture and what i want to know is what motivates you to to keep creating content when it's really hard to get people watching listening reading at the start uh the the desire to honor myself that if I have these ideas and I have this one opportunity to bring those ideas to life, to, to try to go after and reach my dreams, I want to exhaust them before I lay up. And what I mean by that is like, it's, it, I, Richie, create this idea for a book, okay? And I go through the process. Do I actually want to write a book? Do I not? Would it be, okay, I I decide I want to write that book. That's a dream of mine. If I do not act towards that dream, I'm not honoring myself. And I'm allowing myself to invite in a personal tragedy that is of a dream deferred. So, man, all this shit couldn't work. Like, Two years from now, three years from now, we might talk and I'll be like, oh, dude, none of it worked. And it's like, okay, at least I like exhausted it and I went for it. I'll have so much fulfillment in the failure of at least going for that rather than the like inviting regret later in life, inviting in the what if conversation. But I do also believe that 
you continue showing up, it's like things are going to come. You know, like maybe this book sucks. Not one person ever reads it. But I then say, oh, I want to go work at this company. And I'm like, oh, wow, I wrote a book. And they're like, oh, my God, this guy wrote a book. Okay, cool. Let's hire him for that. It's, I'll, you'll be able to use your portfolio and your life's work to be a catalyst into something else later. Um, but yeah, man, I just, I got to honor myself. I got to fall through with this stuff. Uh, I, I, I always wanted to, to launch an app. So I made an app maybe, maybe five years ago. And I, I didn't know at the time really what it took to make like an actual big successful app. So it was more of a, it's more of a hobby project, but I made a launch video for this app. And I put like, I probably put more time into the video than I did the app. That video is what I ended up using to get the next job I had. Mm. And I, would, I would not have gotten that job yeah. without that video. Yeah. So I'm a huge believer, not just in this idea of connecting the dots, looking backwards, but I'm a huge believer in this idea of doing things that honor yourself because fate, and it's so cliche, but it's cliche because it's fucking true. Doing things that, that, that are aligned with you. It doesn't matter if you fail that in and of itself feels good and is success. And yeah. as this, uh, this book, I'm, I just finished quotes better to journey happily than to arrive successfully. Mm. That's what I think it comes down to. And that's what it, it sounds like you're doing with this book and also with, with some of the content or with all the content you're creating, frankly. Yeah. It, yeah. I think that's a really good quote. The, in, in, I think not defined within that quote is success. There's, there's this conversation about like, success equals money but the other side of it is okay hey success equals happiness and success equals fulfillment so in a way dude super relevant beer right there used to be beer and beer was synonymous with alcohol the goal of the non-alcoholic revolution and category is to get it so beer means the process of how something is brewed is like beer means hops beer means yeast beer means water you can get two things. You can have an alcoholic beer. You can have a non-alcoholic beer. Hamburger. You can have a meat burger or a non-meat burger. Success. You can have fulfillment and happiness success or money success. It's adding like this tier to the conversation. So yeah, I, I both are success, but my alignment is more on the side of fulfillment and happiness with success just because now we're getting into this on, on this path, which I love, where is money for you? Like, is it, is it something where you're secretly hoping that these projects will bring you a lot of money or could you not give a shit about it? Or is it a balance? Uh, dude, I have incredible financial anxiety and financial insecurity. Like, tell me more. I, I could tell a friend they need to run a thousand dollars worth of Facebook ads this weekend. And I could use the same thing, but I, I wouldn't do it. And it's like, I'm working on it, man. I am like, I hoard money. You know, like if I get a check for a thousand dollars rather than invest in a new camera for an online show, I'd be like, no, it's okay. It's okay. I still have my iPhone that shoots in 4k. I'll put it horizontal. <laughs> um, okay, I need groceries. Let me put $850 away into a savings account. And it's like, 
why do you do that? Like, you totally fuck yourself. Um, yeah, dude, like I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying to get better on it. But with that being said, I also create these projects because I believe in them. And I'm not as focused on them returning money. Like I'm not writing a book because I think it's going to be a bestseller and I'm going to be the next rich role or um, another, like one of these authors, Mark Manson or whatever. But it's interesting because the other time I'm like always concerned about if I'm going to be earning any income. But then when I create something, I don't create it with monetary motivations so there's some sort of disconnect, which might be just me improving upon my relationship to money. You know, I probably used to be motivated by money and like, oh yeah, I need this, need this, need this. But with, with that being said, I'll also add, I think it's important to acknowledge that it's like a very privileged relationship that if I'm able to create something and not, and do it out of alignment and do it because it's like a passion or an interest that comes from a position where I inherently know that if I fail that like I have a fallback plan, which would be like, I could call my parents or move back home or like I could, I know how to get a job in the tech world or something. I could go get one and call on friends, use my university's network. So there's safety in that. So it's like, I'm, probably more of a, a risk mitigator than like this like oh he's wild chasing his dreams it's like dude i am this is calculated as shit like i'm not like it's so i wanted to at least acknowledge like the privilege behind it that like people may always like get the inspiration but it's like dude the reality is if you have 400 dollars in your bank account like you're probably not going to take that massive risk or it's a way bigger risk for that person to be like i'm going to write this book than it is someone like me who and is in a position right now that maybe I could take a couple months off of work and like invest in that book. When I was doing my stalking of you, my e-stalking, you biked across the country. Yeah, yeah. How, how does one <laughs> how does one actually do that? And how did your how, how did your body survive that? You go, you man, you just you go for a bike ride every day for 65 straight days is what biking across the country actually looks like um from where to where did you go like, i mean yes i started in in boston massachusetts okay and i went to santa monica california but i took a a bit of a jagged route because every two weeks we we were raising meals plant-based meals for organizations that were not only feeding the less fortunate but they were had true like empowerment programs they were doing education teaching people how to cook financial literacy, even at some of the organizations. So it's like I dipped down to New York, came back up to Ohio, went down to St. Louis, back up to Denver, to Vegas and LA. So what should have been probably like a 3,200 mile journey was 3,904 miles spread out over the course of 65 days. 13 of those days were rest days. So like I would take maybe a weekend off in Denver or something. But yeah, I'll bring it back. So this was... I had an idea, <laughs> uh, probably, I think this was the summer of 2016, I read Rich Roll's book, Finding Ultra, and was listening to his podcast, and I was like, oh, I have a pretty cool idea. I'm going to send Rich Roll an email that says, hey, Rich, 
if I bike across the country, will you have breakfast with me? And I was like, breakfast, genius, because he probably has dinner plans. But breakfast, he's going to be like, for sure. And then in my head, I was like, this is going to be sick. Everyone in America is going to be cheering for me. They're like, have breakfast, have breakfast. And then I'll be midway through the country and the email will come in that says, yes. And then I'll be like, we're having breakfast and everyone's going to celebrate and watch me go in. Yeah, I didn't do it. Um, uh, and then the next year I was like, dude, I still want to bike across the country. And the next year I still want to bike across the country. But last year I had finished up a project and I was like, damn, like every three or four months I've been starting on these new ones. And I was like, I'm kind of exhausted about doing it. Shit, I should bike across the country this year. And I quickly like built out a deck, hunted down the marketing global retail marketing manager for Specialized and like pitched him it. I was like, dude, I want to ride across the bike, ride across the country on a Specialized bike. And he was like, all right, sweet. Like, what do you want? And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I wasn't expecting him to say that. I was like, I want a bike. And he was like, all right, cool. So like Specialized got involved um, and then I got the food partner to be donating meals and just picked a date that I was like, I started like mapping it out. I was, it was like the, the map, the mapping part was like as good as I could get, but it was really just like, I was like, eh, I don't know what can happen. What can go wrong? And I left on July 10th. It was a heat index of 112 degrees Fahrenheit. It was like the hottest day of the ride. And yeah, dude, just started biking and yeah. Eventually made it that all the way over with so much shit in between. But and you're doing highways. The highways did not start until Kansas. Most okay. most of the East Coast was like back roads or these like routes that have shoulders on them down to New York. Then New York through New Jersey, it's towns again. Get into eventually Pennsylvania, and it's through like Mennonite and Amish country, where it's just you know these roads that have shoulders on them. Get through the Appalachian Mountains into Ohio through this like 150 mile trail, which is beautiful, just through the mountains. Ohio has bike paths. Indiana, um, and I'm, I'm oh Illinois, Indiana and Illinois again has like just those country roads that are mm -hmm. not highways because it's more rural. Kansas is when I started doing highway. Colorado was like legit highway. I, I screwed up one day. I had an amazing tailwind when I was approaching Denver. And I was like, I'm not getting off. The highway is so smooth. I was on the shoulder. And I can see Denver. I ended up going all the way into downtown Denver where like three highways merged. And there was no more shoulder. And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, I'm not supposed to be on the highway anymore. Um, so eventually got off that, but then man, like Utah was a lot of highway. California was highway. I actually got pulled over by police in California on the final day because for like 30 miles, you're allowed to be on the highway on this, this highway in California, but then all of a sudden you're not. And I knew it, but I was like, whatever, like, I'm, I don't really want to, this is the most direct route. I, it's, I, I'm ending the ride today. Like, let me just do it. And next thing you know, I just hear like two like, woo, 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 and they're like, pull over immediately. And I was like, this will be good. As if you're like OJ Simpson here. Yeah, right? I pulled over. The guy's like, what are you doing? I was like, am I not allowed to be biking here? And he's just like, 
what do you think? He's like, you're approaching downtown LA. You can't be on one of the lanes. If there's six lanes of high of cars right now going 70 miles an hour, you can't just bike here. I was like, all right, well, I'll just, I'll head up there and I'll get off. And I biked away. Uh, last thing I want to touch on. Yeah. Pro athletics. Yeah. Pro hockey. Is it <laughs> super intense? Um, Crazy. What's it like? So the most intense part of my hockey career was actually between ages and 16 and 18. Cause that's when it was pre-professional, but I was on the U S national under 18 team. We're playing three international tournaments a year. Like we're playing Sweden, Russia, Canada, Finland, uh, Czech, Germany. And I was the captain of the team there. So it's like at 16 inflated ego totally, but it's like, this is where all the scouting reports are coming out. They're like, oh, who's this person? And, and my stock fell by the time I, I like finished. So I like was the captain, but I didn't end up getting drafted. And I was like, shit. So go back through everything. And when I finished my senior season in college, I went and played in Wheeling, which is part of Pittsburgh's system. And it was in Wheeling that I was like, damn. I'm like further away than I thought, but I'm closer than I thought. It's like I knew what I would have to do to make it to the next level. And the truth is I probably wasn't as committed as I should have been. Like I, it's like I knew what I had to do, but I wasn't like, oh, let me do it. Like let me just throw out the social life, throw out everything, like just go all in and do Too it. Too many sacrifices. Yeah, but it's I didn't. But I – also, was like, damn, playing in Europe sounds pretty cool. So that might have been blocking me from committing all the way. So I played a year in France, and we won the French National Championship, which was just, like, really cool. It's like going to a foreign country and just winning something that everyone cares about was, like, it was, it was pretty cool. Then the next year was really cool. I, I went to an, an Italian team that's part of the Austrian League. And we were also part of like the Champions League. So the way they have Champions Soccer, they have Champions Hockey. Yeah. Then we were in Italy. Uh, the first year was Bolzano. So that's okay. northern and like the old, um, used to be Austria before they redrew the borders. But then the next year I played in Cortina. And Cortina like just got, they're splitting the Olympics, I think in 2026 with Milan, which is really cool. But that year as well, the hockey wasn't as great. But since I have an Italian passport, I'm a dual citizen. I got to play for the Italian national team. Um, and that was just cool. Like It was cool to call up my nano and nana and be like, hey, check out this picture that my cousin's going to show you on his phone. It's like me in an Italian jersey. And it's like, what? Cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Do, you still, uh, do you still keep in shape a la hockey? professional athlete or has your fitness regime changed over time my fitness regime has definitely changed but i'm in way better shape now than i ever was when i was playing competitive sports what's your like what's your kind of go workout so upset that i didn't know how to treat my body when i was playing because oh my god dude i didn't know how to eat i didn't know how to train i was like i just have to do more squats do more of this and i was like no you don't dude like that's not your style so I do, I probably run two times a week, two to three times a week. Love biking. Obviously I 
So I try to go on like a long bike ride once a week and then another shorter one. I wish I did more yoga. I do a lot of just body weight stuff. So like you give me a backyard, 45 minutes and like an outdoor speaker so I can listen to music and I'll just like throw down burpees, push-ups, jump squats and lunges, lunge jumps, jump rope. It's like, I, I really enjoy that. Um, I enjoy, it's the weirdest sensation, but I love how I feel just walking upstairs. Like I want to be like, I love just seeing stairs and like being like, and like going up them and being like, Oh, that felt great. And I (laughs) like, that's the kind, that's what gives me excitement. But yeah, dude, I, but my top thing is biking. Like biking is for me so enjoyable because it's an active meditation as well as it's a great fitness indoor bikes. Awesome. Like if, if you're moving, you're exercising great, but an outdoor bike, there's more core, there's more arms and shoulders. Um, and you're getting a tan while you're doing it. So it's like all three things. Same with running in a way. Like you can yeah. do the treadmill. The yeah. treadmill is giving you a bit of that push though. You yeah. get outside for a run. Yeah. Oh man, it's challenging. Yeah. But I love, uh, I love that you, because you obviously you look like you're in decent shape. Just for everyone listening, he has his top on, so this isn't a not I'm not making that comment based on any any uh, non PG yeah. views. But you can have variety. I think a lot of people forget that. Yeah. Even just getting out there, walking, Dude. moving, simple things. I like simplicity, uh, and I have been doing none of that the last few weeks. I've been none. so, I've been out of my out of my rhythm, unmotivated. It's tough. So I'm but hoping. I'm pretty sure. This may be an assumption, but you're super focused on something new that you're going to be launching. So it's the excitement is probably you like waking up and you're like, yes. oh, I want to invest in this and this and this. And it's like, that's not an indictment on exercise. It's just like, dude, your priority, you have so much excitement about what you're working on that you're like, yes. oh, I, 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 don't, I don't even want to sleep. I just want to work on this. You know, what's um, funny you say that because for the first time in my life, I've been, get, I've been waking up naturally early. So I find myself now it could just be because I'm I'm chronically stressed and the cortisol levels are fucking jacking me out of bed. But I find like 5:30, I I'm like I'm awake, like I'm ready to go check my laptop yeah. and start start tackling the things that are yeah I'm, I'm launching something soon, which uh, the listeners will hopefully hear about soon. Um, but yeah, it, you're right. It maybe is just my effort and energy being focused. So when I have my my frozen yogurt tonight and i'm just sitting on the couch having another day of no workout i will remember that richie and i will feel validated yeah you an ex-athlete or a you know current current athlete you 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 validated it thank you richie before we go where can the freshly brewed listeners discover more about you and all of your works Hmm. um rickyricky.com is my website and that has like all of the original projects I create all of the projects that I'm part of working on and has like links to like the newsletter where I send out a monthly newsletter and I like to say that I respect the inbox I was like because there, there's like there's a book called the 22 immutable laws of marketing and in it it talks about the law of opposite they're like if you're not the leader then don't necessarily try to emulate the leader because what they're doing, they already own. Like, do something different. So I was like, okay. People send out a daily newsletter. I was like, 
I'm going to send a monthly newsletter and my positive spin is I'm going to say it's the in, the message that respects your inbox. So Ricky Ricky in that newsletter. And I think to like to know if this is like such an ego thing to say, but it's like if there's actually like a curiosity to like learn more about what I care about and like my views or how I go through life, I treat my medium like a, an, a diary and it's you know i'm open to being wrong about certain things that i write about but i definitely everything i write i like to say that it's with the spirit of alliance you know i'm really trying to be like hey i'm your peer you know i have every fucking scar scab and tattoo that other people most people will have so let's use that to relate to each other and hey, may, maybe my writings will do that. You know, maybe my writing becomes a catalyst for someone to say, "Hey, I'm gonna like see what life without alcohol is, or or anything like that." So the, I would say, RickyRicky.com, join the newsletter, pop over to the medium, and then it's like you can trickle into like the LinkedIn, the Instagram, the TikToks, and all that. After. Get, deep, get deep in Ricky. <laughs> Ricky, thank you so much joining me thank you good luck with everything and i wish you all the best man and thank you again for such a great candid interview thank you we'll talk soon